Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. On this episode, I'd like to invite you to listen to a conversation that I recently had with my Crosstalk co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez. We continue a series in which we're discussing Bible stories that we often watered down in order to teach to children. We're going back to re-examine and discuss these passages in order to better understand them. On today's show, we discuss the story best known as The Good Samaritan. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. Well, I mean, to, to give ourselves the context from which we can then uh, spring forth the discussion, this is one of those cir- circumstances where somebody stands up and decides to test Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we end up with, with two real points of interest about the guy who is asking the question. One, we're told he stands up in order to test Jesus. So that's, that's usually a, a, you know, a bad idea. <laughs> Well, I mean, generally know, speaking, and, yeah, and, and, yeah, generally speaking. But you know, at the same time, if he learned from it and was right. benefited by it, then good. You know, I'm glad that he did so. But then, secondly, when he gets his answer, he then attempts to justify himself when he's informed of the truth. And how many times is is that is that our exact response whenever we have the truth laid before us? Whether mm-hmm. we're doing it in personal Bible study, whether we hear it in a Bible class, whether a preacher presents it to us, or just a fellow Christian having a spiritual conversation, the truth gets laid down before us. And when we examine the truth, we say, okay, well, here's me, and the truth is over here, so I must be misunderstanding the truth because I'm, I'm an okay guy. I'm doing all right. And so the truth must be misunderstood because it somehow has to conform back over to me because there certainly can't be any need for me to alter my ways to coincide with the truth. You know, it's interesting to think the questions itself, he thinks, um, he thinks that the question he's asking is a spiritual question. In reality, it's not a spiritual question. This is the question that we always ask when we're, when we're being very immature and very um, uh, fleshly when we, we look at, God's word and say, so what is the most important thing for me to do so that I can do what's right? I mean, how far is too far? How much is too much? How little is too little? That's this kind of question. He's like, what, what must I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, rather than, you know, rather than really asking questions to, to figure out what, what he uh, uh, what he needs to change in his life, but he's he's saying, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus answers the question, and he's not satisfied because, again, like you said, he's justifying. He's like, "Well, you know, I've I've done this. I mean, this is you know, this is this is normal for me. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? How like how how far do I have to really go?" The like the the question of uh, from Peter, like, how many times do I have to how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Um, it's the same kind of thing. Like, how far do I really have to go? Well, you know, it's another one of those circumstances where, you know, he he asked Jesus, well, well, you know, give us this insight. And Jesus effectively says, you already know. Mm-hmm. God has made this clear to you for, for years past. So go do that, you know. And and it, it's it's one of those... We're not satisfied with the simplicity of God's word, and well, there must be more. There must be something else. I'm supposed to, there should be a, some other condition I'm needing to fulfill, and and oftentimes, the truth that the Bible gives us, the truth that Christ gives us, is no, you haven't succeeded at what you think you've done. You know, 
his question, you know, what must I do to be saved? And he said, well, what does the scripture say? And Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. Go and do that. And, you know, the implication there is you think you have successfully carried this out, but you haven't. That's what you need to go focus on. It's not that you didn't know the answer to this. It's that you need to recognize the fact that you're not being successful at it, or you just need to focus yourself on being successful at it, and yet he's not satisfied with that response. And and don't we tend to—it's interesting how we take our relationship with God and we put it in this separate category that is unlike other relationships in our life, where it's like, you know, what do I need to do to have a successful marriage? Well— I mean, it's not a checklist, buddy. You know, I mean, it's it's not it's not one of those things that's like, okay, well, you need to go to premarital counseling before you get married. Okay, check. You know, you need to, um, you know, remember your wife's birthday. Okay, check. You need to, you know, I mean, it's not a checklist. It's it's one of those things where, as opportunities arise, you take care of it. You you do what needs to be done, and so the religious people, we have a tendency to to take our relationship with God and treat it as if it was this checklist where now, because I've done all of these things, well, then I can feel secure about my salvation. And God helps us to realize all throughout Scripture, it's not just about checking things off a list. It is about walking with Him. It is about being like Abraham and being God's friend. And He invites us into this fellowship. What a beautiful, wonderful thing. But yet we treat it as if it is some stoic thing where we can just check things off and we can say, well, I've I've accomplished all that. I've done all of that. I've, I've kept all of the commandments. And it's like, well, you're not done yet. Go love your neighbor. You you don't check that off of a list. It is something that you do daily. It is something that as the need arises, as the need arises, you take care of it. You you and that is walking with God. Walking with God is loving your neighbor. Well, I mean, what what does he say? He says, "What must I do?" Mm-hmm. And in the end, at the at the end of the parable and all all of the the teaching that takes place, what does it say? It says, "Who was a neighbor?" You know, he, he wants to keep it external. What must I do? Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to be doing these things for? And in the end, what Jesus says is, no, you be this way. Mm-hmm. And if we look back at it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like he's so close. And so many of us, when we have these exact same misunderstandings, we are so close because we look at it and we say, what must I do to inherit eternal life, in, to inherit it, to be a part of the inheritance of God the Father? Well, the answer is act like a son of God. Mm-hmm. Be a son of God. It's not this checklist of things like mm-hmm. you're saying. It is an entire change of who you are. It is be someone new. Be a child of God. And thus all of these other things are implied by that, are carried away with this. You know, It changes every aspect of who you are. You are transformed mm-hmm. by this truth. And yet we don't want it to be a transformative type of a truth. We want it to be a truth that we then get an answer back of, well, here, you know, well, you've missed the last three things on your checklist. So let me just make your list a little bit longer and then you'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. And we're not comfortable with those types of things. We're not comfortable with principles, you know, and we, we would rather it be spelled out for us. We'd rather, we'd rather have law. You know, in so in so many instances, we would rather have law. The Jews were very comfortable treating the law as if it were just a law. You know, and at, well, you know, Jesus, there's nothing in the law that says if there is a hurt 
Samaritan, or in this case, it was a Samaritan taking care of a Jew. There's nothing in the law that says, if this guy is this, then I have to put him on my donkey, and I need to take him to an inn and and pay this money. Those things aren't written in the law. And Jesus basically says, oh, yes, they are. When When the Lord says, love your neighbor as yourself, because if you were injured, you would take care of yourself. If you were hungry, you would feed yourself. Therefore, it is this overarching, this broad general principle that says, love and take care of your neighbor in the same way that you take care of yourself. And and so, yes, very much so, the Samaritan was keeping the law. He was doing what the law commanded, and the Jews, who were supposed to be law keepers and who patted themselves on the back, a Levite and a priest— who patted themselves on the back for keeping the law, were not keeping what the law said. And so often we want to say, yeah, but is there a verse that says I can't do that? Was there a verse that says I have to? Show me in the Bible where it says I have to do that. It's like, well, it says love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So yeah, that's 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 covered. You know, that's that's included. Whatever the sin is, whatever the good work is, you know, the, we have these broad principles that say, like you said, it should change who we are. It should change how we live. And you know the 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 thing that we usually teach our kids in this is specifically, well, you need to love everybody, um, and and that's correct. Um, but but the point is that you really love them. That when you see the opportunity, you you there's no excuse. Um, you you don't look for well, how do I get out of this? Um, you look for how can I help? That you. Um, in class today, we talked about, I think maybe it was was you, Sam, that talked about training, or maybe it was Richard, but still, um, the idea that we train ourselves to think, when I see an opportunity, what am I, I'm going to act upon it, and I'm going to act in such a way that, that I bring glory to God. So I'm going to try to figure out what I can do. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to go, and I'm going to in, involve myself and get my hands dirty and do something. Um, and, and that's what this story tells us is that not I'm not just going to say I love my neighbor, but I am going to act upon that love. I am going to, um, I mean, just like first Corinthians 13, the, 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 how love is described is not a passive thing. It's not something that you can do from a distance. It's something that involves getting your hands dirty and, and getting your hands bloody and getting, getting, uh, getting into someone else's life. Um, and it's not, it's not an easy thing. And it's it's going to to uh, maybe make life difficult, but but we have to seek those opportunities to involve ourselves in other people's lives. You know, I would say we we've even dumbed it down further than that because what we end up teaching our kids is not so much to love everyone, but to be helpful. You know, to mm-hmm. help people in need. You know, I mean, it, it, we basically the teach definition the definition of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, we basically teach the secular definition. You know, the Good Samaritan laws and so on and so forth that that even the secular world has adopted, which is basically just help other people who are in need. And we we fail to recognize the much more broad spiritual matter that is at hand here. You know, it, it's not a question of whether you're supposed to help someone who has a a particular need. Because that that was covered in the law, you know. There's nothing different about Christianity and the law in how that was handled, you know. The the explanation and and even with what Christ said, it, it's no different than the law. The expectation from God has always been that we do these things, but the expectation has never been that we're just helpful people or that we're kind people. 
It is that we love other people, that we view them as more important than ourselves, that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for other people. Why? To the glory of God. You know, there's there's so much more broad spiritual principles there that just calling it the Good Samaritan. And you see, isn't isn't that a a, a, a kind of a faulty idea? Because we want to encapsulate all the goodness of what was taking place there into the Samaritan. You know, he he's the one guy who was good kind of a thing, rather than recognizing that the point of this is to be a good neighbor as God defines it, and recognize that it's not the goodness of the Samaritan, but rather it is the goodness of God being demonstrated by the Samaritan. It is his obedience to God that is causing these good things to come about, and we want these to be kind of personal characteristics of goodness rather than recognizing, well, and like last week, you know, we teach... Well, the, the leper's thing teaches uh, gratitude, and it teaches thankfulness, and we, we leave out entirely the aspect of gratitude leading to worship and falling down at Jesus' feet. You know, we, we teach this as being helpful and leaving out completely God's instructions and commands about how we view each other in light of the glory of God. I mean, we almost kind of leave out the, the, the think, thinking about the fact that, I mean, the Samaritan, and Wes was talking about it earlier, he, he's not the one who who, based on his relationship should, uh, with God, should have known this. He is just the nor- he's essentially the normal man who doesn't have a, a necessarily a right relationship with God, at least the way the Jews understood it, and the way we basically understand it from the Bible, but he doesn't necessarily have a right relationship with God, and he does what is right. And, and this is, again, a slap in the face of the Israelites to say, even, even the unbeliever knows who his neighbor is, so why don't you? Even the, the, the good even the Samaritan knows how to take care of uh, someone in need. So you do the same. You I mean anyway. Well, but you know that there's also, I mean, like like Wes has pointed out, that the, the Jesus keeps hammering on this idea of the Samaritan, the Samaritan, the Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we can't we don't need to read into that the idea that Jesus agreed with the idea that these were lesser people, right, or that he mm-hmm. that 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 was a godly belief that the Jews were in fact superior to the Samaritans, and we, we recognize that that was never what God's intention was. Mm-hmm. That was definitely a flaw among the Jews and how they viewed these Samaritan people. You know, and who's this guy being a Samaritan? What should have been very well familiar with the law. He should have he understood because of God's instruction what he was supposed to do. It's not even something uh, like Paul talks about later, where where the Gentiles just naturally came across what God wanted them to do. In the case of the Samaritan, he should have known from the law because they would have been familiar with the law. And and it, it delves back into this idea that the Jews thought themselves superior to everyone because mm-hmm. of who they were, mm-hmm. rather than recognizing their relationship to God was entirely contingent on God's grace and their obedience to him. It had nothing to do with their own personal mm-hmm. innate superiority. And yet we we have then taken that mistake and magnified it by making the goodness of the Samaritan a personal thing or an individualistic thing, rather than recognizing it was him fulfilling what God had expected from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I keep thinking about taking the teachings of Jesus and and then seeing those more fleshed out in Paul's writings and and as the New Testament continues to be laid out, because that's what you would expect, and I believe that's what we see. But so often, we we make Jesus' teachings these 
moralisms, you know, do we take these parables and we make them these moralisms, and then we we go to Paul's right and say, well, well, these are deeper doctrinal things. Well, actually, Jesus' teachings were deeper doctrinal things, and Paul's writings were moral. You know, I mean, there really is no there there, there is no conflict between those two ideas. And so, you, you look at what Paul says in Galatians. And and he basically, to me, it it seems like the argument against Paul was like, you know, the Jews and the Gentiles becoming Christians, and, and the Jews saying, "Hey, this Paul guy, I don't know what he's teaching about. We're not under the law anymore. If you say people aren't under the law, what's going to keep them from being horrible, no good, rotten people? I, what's going to make them loving and kind and good? It, it's only because of the law that we're we're loving and kind and good and and generous and these kind of things." Paul's point over and over again, Romans, Galatians, is that, okay, number one, you had the law and you weren't those things. You know, you you blew it. But number two, it's not it's not the law that makes us those kind of people. It's walking by faith. It is mm-hmm. is living by the Spirit of God. And so he says in Galatians 5, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not under law. And and how how true is that? That at any time, that if if somebody just decided, I'm gonna be God's person. I'm going to. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm going to live for the glory of God. Then they would not only fulfill the obligations of the law, but also against such things, such things being love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law against such things. There is no law. You're not going to violate any law, not God's law, not man's law, if you walk by the Spirit of God. And you will fulfill all of the obligations of the law if you walk by the Spirit of God. And so the the accusation that Jesus is making against the, the lawyer is that you are not walking according to the Spirit. You are not walking with God. You are not God's people. You you say you're God's people. You should have been God's people. You had God's promises, but you're not being God's people because you are a law people, and you're so in love with the law, and Jesus says, the law pointed to me, and so you should recognize me for who I am. But but so often we can fall in the same trap, and we want to make it this checklist, and, and it's like, no, it's, it's about walking by the Spirit. It's about walking with God. It's about walking by faith. And when you do that, you don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to worry about all the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's it. I really love how, how Jesus turns the question over on its head, where he's trying to identify something outside of himself. He's trying to identify, well, who is my neighbor? Who should be the recipient of my good graces? And and instead, what does Jesus? You know, how often does Jesus answer a question by asking mm-hmm. something of you? He says, "Who proved to be a neighbor to this man?" And and he answers correctly. He says, "Well, the one who helped him, obviously." And it's it's one of those cases where you know, in teaching people how to appropriately study the Bible and and um, how to appreciate sermons and Bible classes and whatnot. It's it's one of those things where I have constantly tried to remind people understanding God's will is very seldom the difficult part of it. If you go into the word with the right mindset, you're going to discover the truth. The hard part has always been applying mm-hmm. that truth to your life. And unlike a checklist, it's not something where as soon as you have a success, you walk away from the game. You know, hey, that's it for me, and you walk out of the room kind of a situation. No, it is a daily thing. It's one of those things where you wake up in the morning and you remind yourself of who God is, who you are, and thus what that means in your life and how you are going to change who you want to be, who you are. 
to be what God wants you to be. And that is going to be what you want to be. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's about looking at yourself. It's about making sure you have been transformed to be what God wants you to be. It's not about, you know, and, and how often though, when we study a passage like this, we talk about, well, we need to be looking for opportunities to do good. And yet it, it doesn't say that the Samaritan was out looking for opportunities to do good. What does it say? It says he happened across him and he felt compassion. He felt compassion. Because I think there's a whole lot of us who can spend a massive chunk of our spiritual lives going around looking for people to be the recipients of our good uh, actions on behalf of God's glory, but we don't walk around and feel compassion because we don't actually love these people. We, you know, they're, they're almost numbers in a ledger to us. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, here's an opportunity and there's an opportunity and there's an opportunity rather than saying, I love you and my compassion for you moves me to do whatever is necessary to help you and to treat you the way I would treat myself. You know, it, that boils over into evangelism. You know, we don't look around and just see opportunities to spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. What we should do is look around and see people that God loves and that we love and say, I cannot stand the idea of you being lost. I must share the gospel with you because I love you and I need you to be saved. I want you to be saved. It's it's an entirely different outlook. And isn't that back to the, the idea of the law and the... and and the grace and the spirit of God. You know, I mean, sometimes we still are doing good works. I'm being a good Samaritan because I have to, to go to heaven, you know? And so we're, we're checking off this list and it's like, stop, just stop. You know, it's about walking with the Lord. It's about knowing that when we, we walk with him, when we walk by faith, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And so it, it's because of what he's done for me. I want to do this. It's not a matter of, I think that by my good works, I can earn my salvation or by not looking for opportunities or not passing up opportunities that I'm going to avoid hell or whatever. It's about the fact that because God has blessed me and because of who God is, I, I want to do that for other people. It's a change of mind and a change of will. You know, it reminds me of Paul um, in, in kind of a relationship to, to the story, the, the, the heart that he had for his own people. He says that I wish that I could give up my salvation mm-hmm. for theirs. Wow. I mean, just that, and, and, and he means that, that he wishes that he could, but he can't. He's, I mean, he, he can't be what Jesus was. Jesus did that, but Paul can't do that. But he still would is willing that if, if he could give his life for his people, that he would give his life for his people. And that's the, that's the compassion that you're talking about. He says, I, they are where I was. That was me. And, and, and no one's, I mean, I didn't listen to, I didn't listen to the words. I didn't hear. I didn't listen with my ears. I was, and, and Paul sees, that was me, and if I could give up what I have for them, I would do it. And that's the same thing that we see in the story. The, the, the Levites don't do that. They don't give up the, the, their possibility of being unclean or, or being, maintaining their, 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 uh, their uh, ceremonial cleanness. They, to, to, they keep on their way. They have something to do. But, but Paul says I would be willing to be to be rejected. I would be willing to to do whatever it takes to to save my people. And that's just a beautiful thought and and 
um, very humbling. He knew how to be a neighbor. He knew how to be a neighbor. And that's it. I mean, he loved his neighbor as himself. As himself. I want them to have, more than anything in the world, I want them to have what I have. But that didn't mean that he stopped doing things that would make them unhappy. He did what was right, and he was still the example, and he still did whatever it took to show them that this is what a man of God is like, and this is what he stands for, and this is what he believes. He met their needs, not their wants. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, it, it came from a heart that had been transformed. Mm-hmm. And, and that principle, you know, it's like if if I was a drug addict and I was on the street or I was homeless or whatever, what, what would I want somebody to do for me? I, I'd want somebody to tell me the truth. I want somebody to wake me up. I don't want somebody to just throw five bucks at me. You know, I, I don't want, you know, and, and if we really loved our neighbor as ourself, you know, when we have those opportunities and, and, and God puts people in our path, so to speak, providentially, then when we love them as ourselves, we do for them what we would hope somebody would do for us in the same situation. And that doesn't necessarily mean giving them, like you said, what they want. It means doing what is in their best interest the way we would hope somebody would act in our best interest. But how many of us as as Christian brothers and sisters reject people who try to be neighborly to us, who try to be our neighbors? They reject We reject that because we're so ashamed, we're so prideful, I, you know, I don't want you to do this. I know that I need this, but I can't let you. I'm embarrassed by letting you. Does that even stem because we also don't know how to be a neighbor to other people or we have not been a neighbor to other people, and so we even struggle with being on the receiving end mm-hmm. of that? It humbles us. It embarrasses us that I don't know that I would do the same thing for someone else and the fact that they are doing what I ought to be doing. And that's what the Good Samaritan story should do. It, it, should, it should humble it should have humbled the Jews. It should have humbled the the, the lawyer. It should have humbled all those that heard that, that conversation to say, you're right. If that situation were a real situation, and it very well might be, then that Samaritan was a better law keeper than I've been. And I've treated that Samaritan like an unclean one, as 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 less than a person. And and you know, and so when we when we are treated with love and kindness. It ought to it ought to inspire us, it ought to humble us, but sometimes it embarrasses us and we reject that love. In Mark, the, the same story in Mark, that it's it's interesting because he basically, it, it says right after that, that after this, nobody asked him questions anymore. <laughs> and, and I think probably for, for two reasons, because they realize, okay, this is, this is a ridiculous effort. I mean, there's no point because he's going to beat us anyway. And the other is probably because like, wow, I mean, the reality is he's right, and if we pay attention to it, we'll 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 hear the truth that he's he's right. You really hope that was the reaction. You, you hope that's you know, the reaction. You hope because we can always read all kinds of negative implications into things like that. But I would really hope that that no one was asking him further questions because they were sitting and they were dwelling on the truth that they just received. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.